Good morning, Garden State Church of Christ. How are y'all doing? Wow, um, it's great to be here, and uh, it's great to be able to worship with you this morning. Uh, we were met this morning by Matt Rupert, and Matt saw us, and he said, welcome to paradise. And uh, I feel like I am in a paradise. Um, the singing has been amazing. The worship has been fantastic. And Caroline, that story was incredibly moving. Thank you for sharing your life with us. I want to thank Russ and Seri for inviting us to come. We are, um, of course, bonded by the blood of Jesus, but we are also bonded by Steeler Nation. Uh, my wife was born and raised in Pittsburgh and is a diehard Steeler fan. Do we have any Pittsburgh folks out there? Amen. Now, you know, I grew up in Trinidad and I, let's, all right, let's hear it for the Trinis, all right? Now, I really didn't know anything about the Steelers. But when I married my lovely wife, I felt like I was brought out of the darkness as such brought out of the darkness and into another kind of light. And now we are bonded by the blood of the black and yellow. But over the years, the Murdochs and the Barnes family have shared many special memories. And so I'm grateful to be here. And as I look around, I, I see so many people um, gathered here who have been such a blessing to the New York church. This church has been an amazing blessing to the New York church as a whole. God has done something special here. And I feel like I'm just about to shed some tears, right? I feel like you guys have provided amazing elders for the New York church. Larry, Craig, Chuck Royale, Roy Tolliver, Sean Hand. Lewis Livingston. Lewis and I and Tosun and, and, and our wives got very, very close. And I'm so proud of what Lewis is doing. Lewis and Tosun is doing in Jamaica right now and in the Caribbean. That started right here in New Jersey. You guys have got some amazing staff members, like the Garrisons. Uh, I know that that Phil and Leslie and I, we, we, we kind of connected when we were in, uh, when he was in Long Island. And, and I, I'm so proud of what God is doing in the garrison's life as they are now helping with the work in New Jersey. I think about the great campus ministry that Rob and Chelsea Novak started and that Matt and Brielle are continuing the awesome work. And Chana, that's right, Chana. You know, uh, Matt, Matt is such a zealous brother. Uh, him and I both serve on the Caribbean, the board of the Caribbean Mission Society. And, and I'm, I'm just so excited about the young men, the, the teens and the young men and women, and Chana and Desiree just being raised up to serve in the ministry. I just want to say I am so thankful for what you have done here in New York and what you have provided for the New York City Church. The New York region has also provided the church with some amazing administrators. We got Bobby Ritter. We got Nellie Arrett. We got Sherry Murray. I mean, I mean, 
Like, what a blessing. Thank you, Garden State, for all of what you have done to build up the New York church. That's my sermon, Road to Life. Uh-oh. And that's the Barnes family. That's us. Uh, Robin and I met right here in uh, the New York church. We were married in 1995. We've been married for 27 years. We have two wonderful children. That's Jeremy on the, on the right, handsome man. And that's our, our beautiful daughter, Gabrielle, who is finishing up college. She's 22 years old. Um, I was met. I was met um, by students while I was at the University of Toronto. And Toronto is in Canada, and I am a Canadian. Do we have any Canadians? All right, my people, my people, my people. Come on now, let's go Canada. All right. Now I became a disciple in my final year of college. And I went into the ministry about a year and a half after that. The Toronto church was the second international church planting in our fellowship of churches after the London planting. And in Toronto, there was a great focus on evangelizing the city of Toronto and the nation of Canada. Never in my wildest dreams did I ever think the spirit would take me to many Caribbean nations to spread the gospel. My mother is Jamaican and my dad was Trinidadian. So I grew up on both islands. Do we have any Yardies in the house? Yeah, man, bless up, big up Yardie. Yes, I'm with you, my people. You see, I got lots of people. I got Canadian people, I got Trini people, I got Yardie people, I got Pittsburgh people, I got many people. So I wanna give a shout out to my, my, my Yardie and Trinidad people, um, but, but, but after, shortly after I went into the ministry, I was asked to lead the, the, the mission team in Trinidad that was planted in 1989. After that, I came to New York in 93 and put some training and I met and married my beautiful wife, Robin. We then returned to Trinidad and we were involved. I mean, it was amazing, an amazing time, nine years in Trinidad. We were involved with the church plantings in Guyana and St. Vincent. We also got to part participate in what God was doing in several islands in the Caribbean region. We left Trinidad in 2004 and um, uh, accepted a ministry position with the South Florida Church of Christ. And it was in South Florida that we really learned about the Haitian culture. Do we have any Haitians in the house? All right, all right. Let me tell you, if you've never had Griot, you gotta have some Griot. That's what I'm talking about, sis. Rio, that's what I'm talking about. See, I'm getting fired up now, man. You're talking about food, you're talking about football. We were baptized into the Haitian culture in South Florida. I love the Haitian culture. And then in 2012, the Holy Spirit opened up a door for Robin and I to return right here to the great New York City Church of Christ. And we're excited to return to the place where for us it all began and to reunite with Sam and Cynthia Powell and to meet this, the amazing staff. And this year makes 10 amazing years since we've been here in the great New York church. We're thankful to God for that time.
So my sermon is titled Road to Life. And this morning, I want to concentrate our attention on the opening 12 verses of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. In these opening verses, it said that Jesus saw the crowds. He saw the great spiritual needs of the masses, and he decided to do something about it. He went up on a mountainside, and his disciples came to him, and he taught them. And so in the picture that we're getting here in these opening verses, we see Jesus gathering his disciples and teaching them. These were certainly very humble beginnings. But eventually, these very same men would stand before nations, delivering the message of salvation. You know, brothers, sisters, and friends, that in a very similar manner, we are all coming to Jesus this morning. We are all gathering around Jesus as we look at his words. And even though we know that this event took place thousands of years ago, for us in the Christian faith, Jesus is not dead. Jesus still lives. His words still are applicable in our lives. Amen? And so as we open the Bible and study his words, let's remember that these are Jesus' words. I am just the, the messenger. I'm just the guy in the brown shorts. The, the person who spoke these words are Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, help us to concentrate on your word. Help us to get rid of all distractions. Fill us with your spirit. Give us humble hearts and give us teachable hearts. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to make this lesson practical and applicable. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the kingdom of earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's the text. We've got to watch for the patterns that we see. We see blessed are some character attribute, and then there's a future reward or promise. And when we study a passage like this, brothers and sisters, we've got to pay attention to words that are repeated. The most repeated word in this passage is the word blessed. Blessed is used nine times. And whenever we encounter a word being repeated so many times, we need to stop and ask ourselves, do we truly understand this word? The word blessed conveys ideas and concepts. Jesus wants to convey an important idea. And if it's important, we got to take the time to understand what Jesus is saying. In this passage, the word blessed means to have special favor in the eyes of God. 
Now, in our society, the average person, when you use that word blessed, they would think that it conveys a message of material prosperity, right? You think, when you think blessed, you think, ka-ching, I won the lottery. But in this passage, did Jesus say anything about material wealth? Does it say blessed are the wealthy? No. Does he say blessed are the homeowners? No. But in our mindset, that's the mark. That's the target. Jesus has a completely different definition of being blessed. So at the very start, brothers and sisters, we got to do the hard work of examining our own predisposition to make sure that we don't let our predisposition obscure the meaning that Jesus wants us to have. You know, uh, an incorrect predisposition is like having a flat tire. You know, you may have a beautiful car and the engine may be functioning and, and, and it may be full of gas, but try to move that car anywhere on one flat tire. You're not gonna go anywhere. Now in Trinidad, some of us would say, well, I have three good ones. Let me just roll on, the, on those three. But it, they don't get very far. We gotta make sure that we pump that flat tire up so we can get going, amen? The other thing I wanna encourage you as you read this passage is to pay attention to the promises and the rewards. There are some amazing promises in these few verses. The meek shall inherit the earth. The pure in heart will see God. What amazing promises that Jesus gives us right here in these opening verses. And he gives us certain qualities that we need to aspire to be and to have in our hearts. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? To be poor in spirit is to be aware of your spiritual condition and your desperate need for God. There's a parable that Jesus uh, spoke in Luke 18 about two men. One is a Pharisee and the other is a tax collector. And in Luke 18, it says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, <laughs> the robbers, the evildoers, the tax collectors. Uh, I, 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 I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of what I get. But the tax collector stands at a distance. He couldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast. He said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Why? Because the tax collector is aware of his, of his sin and he is aware of his desperate need for God's mercy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The blessed can look forward to a future hope. What is, and what is that hope? They will receive the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When we read this statement, it is most natural for us to think that Jesus is speaking about the loss of loved ones. And in the past two years, some of us have mourn the loss of family members who have passed away unexpectedly. I lost my dad last year, and it was very difficult for me emotionally. I know many of the members of the church have, have lost a relative or a friend due to COVID. And certainly the scriptures teach that God comforts those who are in mourning and that he is close to the brokenhearted. But I'm not really sure brothers and sisters, that Jesus wants us to mourn only for those who have died. 
I think the heart of the matter has to do with grieving over the sinful condition of the world. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We live in terrible times today. There is a humanitarian crisis in Haiti. Women are being raped indiscriminately and people are being kidnapped. The price of gas was uh, a few weeks ago at $35 a gallon. It grieves me that we have brothers and sisters in Haiti struggling in a very difficult political situation. There's a war between Ukraine and Russia. One of the disciples in Ukraine is now in our ministry in Queens. She had to flee her country to come to the United States. I'm saddened by the racial injustice that continues to divide our country. More locally, I'm saddened by the stories of angry men walking into schools and just randomly killing innocent children. We should be mourning about the condition of our fallen world. Those who mourn, Jesus holds out a great promise that one day they will be comforted. The opposite of mourning is, is taking a cavalier attitude to the wickedness of the world. As long as it doesn't bother me, I'm okay. If that's your position, what future comforts can you receive from God? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the kingdom, for they will inherit the earth, pardon me. The word meek means gentle. Jesus states that God looks with favor on those who are weak. On, on, excuse me, on those who are meek, pardon me. Now, this is a radical teaching that goes against our culture. Think about it. Is the quality of gentleness an attribute sought after in the corporate world? Do you write that on your resume? I am gentle. Let's see if they'll hire you. When was the last time you heard a sports announcer describe a running back as meek? Oh, that guy is so meek. This is not a quality that is lifted up in our culture. Yet, gentleness is one of the attributes of Jesus' character. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Meekness is not even a word that's, that's even, it's, it's used very rarely in the English language. And it can easily be interpreted or misinterpreted as weakness. But those who strive to handle every situation with gentleness, look at the promise that God has given you. They shall inherit the earth. Now, not that you're going to get everything in the earth, but I believe what God is saying here is he himself will provide you with whatever you need that is from the earth. If you conduct yourself with gentleness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Righteousness denotes the doing or being what is right in the sight of God, not man. I, I emphasize in the sight of God, not man. It is a prominent theme in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, seek first his, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
Someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness is therefore constantly seeking God's approval in every area of his or her life. They seek God's approval in their marriage and dating lives. They seek his approval in how they use their finances, how they manage their free time, what job is the right job for them. It, it is a constant struggle, but they're not governed by their feelings or governed by the standards of the world. They're constantly focusing on what does God want me to do? In contrast to this is the person who cares very little about God or about how God feels about things that is driven by their own personal desire and motivation. They don't have time to search the scriptures, to discern the will of God, and have very little appetite or desire to find out what pleases him. Jesus promises the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness that that, right, that hunger will eventually be filled, that God will not leave you hungering and thirsting indefinitely, that you will one day find the true answers that make God happy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Mercy is the outward manifestation of pity. And what we can understand from this passage is that God looks with favor on those who demonstrate by their behavior that they are merciful. The future hope or promise is that those who are merciful will in turn receive mercy. And don't we all need mercy? You know, we all needed it. And that's what Jesus gave. He provided that for us on the cross, as my lovely wife shared. In Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The first words out of his mouth were ones of mercy. Mercy is what heals the breach in any relationship. In any relationship that you have, if there is a breakdown or a division, mercy would fill whatever is missing. No relationship between two people can survive without mercy. The church of Jesus Christ ought to be a place overflowing with mercy because of the mercy that was lavished on us. Even within the church, people can sin against each other, okay? Right? Somebody sinned against you at some point, right? You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and the ointment of mercy should be right there in the cupboard, man, because we're going to have, we're sinners, we're trying to do what's right, but we make mistakes, and we need to make sure that we have that ointment of mercy ready to rub all over that sinner, you know, to heal that relationship breach. You know what I'm saying? I think this needs to be the distinguishing feature of Jesus' church. One so clear, one so obvious that men and women are drawn to return. In contrast, those unwilling to be merciful hold on to hurts and grudges and are embittered and leave behind a trail of broken relationships. Ultimately, Jesus says it here and in other passages, those who want to receive mercy should give it. Amen? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. A person who is pure in heart is aware of the effect of sin in their life and is intentionally involved in keeping their sin and mind from being corrupted by sin. Mm, that's a lot in there, right? Here's what James said. Religion that, the religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world, polluted by the world. 
You know, if we're reading this passage correctly, Jesus is more concerned about his followers keeping their hearts free from spiritual pollution. We live, brothers and sisters, in a morally repugnant world. And the stench is awful in the eyes of God. What's wrong parades around as what's right. Those who desire to follow Christ must take steps to keep themselves from being corrupted by the world. Purity of heart is not limited to sexual purity only, but I think our ability to control our sexual desires has a huge impact on the purity of our hearts. Uh, in another passage, Jesus says uh, in Matthew 5, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed uh, adultery with her in his heart. Matthew 5, 28. That, that to me is one of the most challenging scriptures in the, in, the, in the Bible. If you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in his heart. Brothers and sisters, we got to work very hard to keep ourselves free from being enslaved to sexual sin. We got to be open about our temptations. Any temptation you're experiencing with coworkers or neighbors, you got to be open about it. We got to be open about it. We live in a, in, a, in a world where sexual sin is just running rampant. As for me, I was exposed to pornographic material at a very early age. Porn has left its mark on my mind. And when I became a Christian, I experienced freedom from the slavery of that sin. But I realized that it was extremely difficult to undo the damage that porn has left on my mind and on my heart. I am I'm engaged, brothers and sisters, in, in, a, in, a, in a battle every single day. Uh, sometimes I get email, emails I don't, I don't even ask for coming to my inbox about people, about just stuff I don't even want to know. Popular female entertainers seemingly wear less and less clothing. I can't even, I, I don't want to see them on TV. And even the words to some of the songs that are popular are so sensual. I mean, it's like, I, I can't listen to those things. I have to fight daily to keep my heart pure. It is a daily battle. I, I once used to think that, oh, so I got baptized, that my sinful nature would just pack its bags and leave. Wrong. Man, it is it's daily. I got to look at scriptures. I got to make sure I am striving to keep my heart pure in the eyes of God. And if any of you are acting inappropriately to any, towards any brother or sister, I encourage you, don't try to handle it by yourself. The Bible says, and you got to look at the promise, the pure in heart will see God. If you want to see God, you deal with your purity. Amen? Amen. Don't get quiet on me now, Garden State. Garden State Church. Don't be getting quiet on me, man. All right. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Every follower of Christ is called to be a peacemaker. This is your business, making peace. 
Peacemakers are needed in every facet of Christ's church. Wherever there is a breakdown of harmonious relationships between spiritual people, peacemakers are needed. Jesus says that God looks with favor on those who are actively and intentionally seeking to restore harmony in one another relationships. The scriptures teach that Jesus, Isaiah 9, 6, is the prince of peace. He came to earth to make peace between God and human beings. Moreover, peace is the central, one of the central themes of the gospel message. Ephesians 6, 15, Paul calls it the gospel of peace. Every time we open the scriptures, we seek peace between God and man. If there is one peacemaker in a marriage, that marriage will endure every difficulty. If in each small group there are one or two men or women dedicated to peacemaking, that group will be harmonious and it will be fruitful and God will work through that group. Satan will run amok in our church if conflicts do not get resolved. We grieve the Holy Spirit with discord, gossip, slander, and malicious talk. And no brother or sister should say, I'm too busy to be involved in the work of making peace. Because those who prioritize peacemaking in their lives, those men and women will be called the true children of God. And don't you want to be called a true child of God? Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I want to take a shout out to that sister-to-be who stood up and, and, and who endured persecution and said, I want to come back to Jesus. Amen. Let me tell you something. To persecute is to drive away. Every person who follows Christ will experience some form of persecution. God looks with favor on those who are driven away by society because of their desire to be righteous. In these verses, Jesus says that people will persecute you. But in other verses, Jesus says that persecution can come from different sources. They can come from members of your family, from the religious world, or from within the church itself. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 said, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When I was a campus student, this was one of our memory scriptures. Because our campus minister said, listen, it's coming. You better get ready for it. And we memorized the scripture. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, raise your hand. Well, then you're going to be persecuted. Jesus is telling his followers not to expect a ticker tape parade because you got baptized. Persecution will come in different forms and from different people. He tells us 
to rejoice because great is our heavenly reward. So followers of Christ, you can't look to human beings to give you the thumbs up and the likes and the awesome emojis because you're trying to be righteous. You're not going to get it from the world. You can only get it from the Lord. Our attitude should be one, rejoice and be glad when we get persecuted. Don't, don't feel like you made a mistake or you did something wrong. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. I want to conclude with um, this, this passage in Matthew 7, 13 to 14. Now, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said these words, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only the few find it. Only a few find it. And, and Jesus, at the end of the sermon, provides a context of everything he said before. And what I, what I believe Jesus is saying is, look, we're all on a journey. We are all on a journey. We're either on the road that leads to life or the road that leads to destruction. And if you look at what he said in these few verses that we studied, you are able... You and I are able to discern, to discern what road we're on. You just look at what he said and ask yourself, is it, are these my aspirations? Am I striving to be poor in spirit, to be pure in heart, to be merciful? Your answers to those questions will tell you what road you're on. You also have to remember that you and you alone determine whether you are on the road to destruction or on the road to life. You are in full control. You have complete control over what road you want to be on. Jesus asked, Jesus asked his followers to look at our hearts, to look within. What will tomorrow bring? Who knows? What troubles or hardships or difficulties will you face? What sufferings? I don't know. Do you know? But I do know that regardless what, of what happens to us, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, if we focus on doing the work that we need to do to be poor in spirit, if we keep striving to be merciful, if we keep striving to be gentle, if we keep striving to hunger and thirst for righteousness, as we strive to live up to the calling that Jesus has given us, we can keep in mind these great promises. The promise to inherit, we'll inherit the earth. The promise to receive mercy. And what I believe is the greatest promise that we can all grab onto tightly is a promise to receive the kingdom of heaven. Thank you and God bless you. And may God continue to do great work here in the Garden State Church.